Hello, podcast world. My name is Dennis Naughton, and I'm the soon-to-be-retired band director at Flowery Branch High School in Flowery Branch, Georgia. It is my pleasure today to spread the good news that my friend and yours, Cadillac Jack, is back in his new podcast. The even bigger news is that he is joined by his wife, Donna, and if anyone can keep Caddy in check, it is Donna. So sit back and enjoy, as it is my honor to introduce Cadillac Jack in his second act. My name is Cadillac Jack. I joined Atlanta Radio when I was 19 years old. I put in a very loyal 26 years until July 2019. I was fired. Welcome to my second act. My name is Donna, and I'm Caddy's wife, and I'm a little exhausted from this past weekend. We've had, we had a big weekend. We had Mr. Al's 100th birthday celebration at Cinco, and we celebrated our... 17-year wedding anniversary. Wait, we did? Yes. Oh, yes. Of course we did. Yes. We Saturday did. with Ron White. With Ron White at the Fox. He is... Um, Ron White is very unpredictable. And we've known him for a, a long, long time. He did a great show at the Fox. Saturday it was great. He's great. Always, he always does a great job, even to stand-up specials. And um, we one time went to... Tunica, Mississippi, to see Ron White. And it was an endorsement deal that I got with the radio station for a casino in Tunica. Yeah, it's a, it's a big casino there. I can't remember what the name of it is. So we flew into Jackson, Mississippi, I, I think. think. And then we got a rental car and drove up to Tunica. And it was like Amish country. Like we just drove and drove and drove. And then out of nowhere, this just casino appears. just appeared. Like, like Taj Mahal. Yes, so that was part of the endorsement deal was the trip because they wanted me to go out and experience the resort. Yes. Which Well, they had a spa. It was nice. Okay. Some nice restaurants. And Ron, I picked the weekend when Ron White was going to be there because we've always enjoyed Ron White. And uh, I remember he was in a really pissy mood, and here's why. Because his bus had broken down. He lives in Houston, Texas, and his bus had broken down on the way to, um, to Tunica. And so, if I recall, he he rented a, or chartered a jet. He char- and, yeah, and he chartered his own plane. Yeah, like Alexandria, plane. Louisiana, to Tunica, Mississippi, to the tune of probably twenty thousand dollars for a twenty-seven minute flight on a chartered jet. He's got it. He's loaded. We visited with Ron before the show in Tunica, Mississippi. I guess you could call it that. Tell the story about that. Well. I can't remember. We knew someone. It was Kathy. Kathy right? Nelson. Kathy Nelson. So she was kind of like Ron's personal assistant. And so when we went, you never do this, but we made a call and we were like, hey, you know, we're going to be, we're going to be in Tunica, believe it or not. And she, Kathy was like, where? Yeah. Ron's booked where? And so we were like, you know, do you think we could go back and meet Ron? And she was like, yeah, you know, that's no problem whatsoever. And, you know, I think he was doing two shows. Anyways, and so we went to like the earlier show. I think it was like an eight o'clock show. Anyway, and we got there and she was like, meet me at this side curtain. And uh, it was like very unofficial. Yeah. And we will, um, (laughs) I'll bring you back, you know, spend a few minutes with Ron. And so it's like all the seats were, you know, already set up kind of in the, you know, in the, in the ballroom or whatever. And then there was this big curtain. And so she opened the curtain and we went back and it was just the two of us. And then there's like all these 
tables like you're like think of a wedding like those kind of tables six toppers and like he's sitting by himself at this one table and i remember i know you do too i remember exactly what he was eating he had a ribeye steak Mm -hmm. a baked potato a house salad and like a glass of scotch or whatever glass my ass and he was i mean he was mid-meal and he kind of looked up and Kathy was like, oh, this is Cadillac Jack and his wife Donna. And, you know, they just want to come back and meet you. And they're big fans. And he just stared at us. And it seemed like eternity. And it was so awkward. So awkward. You know, how, like, usually I think part of it is like we're used to going back to like meet and greets, like for artists or whatever. And like there's tons of people from like the programming department and labels and there's a lot of Fan people. Clubs. Sometimes they have their families back there. Mm-hmm. And it's all just kind of like laid back and everybody's maybe having a drink. And, you know, it's just like most of the time, you know, for the radio ones, not necessarily like the listener meet and greets, but the radio rooms were kind of just real, you know, casual. But this was literally you and I and Ron White, like Kathy even disappeared. And so he looked up and you were like, I don't know, what, what did you say? Like, hello, Mr. White. What did you say? Hi, Ron. Hi, Ron. It's Cadillac Jacks, my wife Donna. I don't know how it went down. I think you know a lot of times too when you visit with an artist outside of Atlanta, they it takes a second for them to figure out who you are, and it has happened several times. And Ron White was an example of that because Ron and I had met several times before. Right. We had him in the studio. Oh for, yeah, you know on, on the, the show. show. Um, happens a lot when we go to Haraz Casino in Cherokee. Haraz, Haraz, yeah, and. We travel down from the mountain house to Cherokee, which is about 45 minutes, if there's a really good show that we want to see. But we've seen some great people. We've like we seen, we've seen Reba. Big and Rich. Big and Rich. Dirks Bentley. Dirks Bentley. And each time that we've gone back to say hello, you make the turn into the meet and greet line where they're standing there. And they kind of, it's like a dog that hears a whistle. They're like they, shocked. They tilt their head a little bit. Or, you know, and Dirks, I remember Dirks is like, what the hell are you doing here? Yeah, you know, and 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 we spent quite a bit of time with Dirks after the show, and 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 Bing and Rich have been close to us. We vacationed with those guys and remembered the uh, days <laughs> this of this. Uh, was not that situation at all. Huh? With Ron? Oh, it was so awkward. You know what it reminded me of? It's like when you're in middle school and like you like you're like you know me, and I go over to like the cool girl table, and be like hi, you know, and they're like they just stare at you, you know, and it was like so bizarre. So we were like, okay, well. This is good to see you. Have a good show. And then this is when it really got awkward. Like we we both tried to get out. Quickly. Quickly. And the curtain, like we couldn't find where the curtain parted, like where it opened. <laughs> <laughs> so both we of us. look so dumb. Both of us are just like grabbing, grabbing at and, the curtain. And, and, yes. and I think finally we just lifted it up from the bottom and, and like ducked, ducked underneath under it, it. Yeah. and went to our seats. And yeah. we both were just like, okay, we wish we had not done that. That's when, like, you know, there's. Everybody meets someone where they have like this great expectation, and um, you go meet them, and you're kind of like, I almost wish I hadn't met them because my impression prior to meeting them was not the impression you had after right hanging with them. Yeah, it was better. Yeah, you know, it was better. But the good news is, this past weekend, he we didn't we did not see Ron White before, but the show was fabulous, and he did a great job. And more importantly, we celebrated our 17 year anniversary. Nobody knew we were getting married. It was a, we, we told no family. We no. told no friends. We were on a work trip to St. Thomas. And we knew the trip was, we knew about six months out, the trip was coming up. And we thought, yeah, we said, we talked about it. And we said, you know what? Let's just get married while we're over there. So you lined everything up. Yeah. We got married at Frenchman's Reef 
in St. Thomas. And we did not, I want to say this, we did not not tell our families because there was bad blood or anything. We just knew that then it would become a much bigger situation. And we just wanted it to be completely low-key. Well, we were going on the cheap. We were doing it on a business that trip. <laughs> we, were kind of, we were kind of going on that. We were on it. It was, it was funny because at the time, Carl Black, the auto dealership, did these trips every year. And they were incentive trips for their salespeople. And they were always kind enough to ask us to come along. And usually at the radio station, they would bring for many years. Actually, it was the only person that ever came with us. was Victor Sansone, the GM at the time. And these trips were so much fun. Like the stories. Oh, boy. Those certainly can't see the light of day. He'd be calling me. That was not that was not supposed to be shared. So, And it rotated. One year it'd be international. Yep. And the next year it would be here in the state somewhere. Yeah, like Miami. Or but it was to Charleston. salute the top ten salespeople, and not the not just the salespeople either. It was to give props to the spouses that deal with their significant other being in the automotive industry and the grueling hours that they work and standing on the lot and just hoping somebody comes in to buy a a Chevy Spark. Yeah, the families give up a lot. So anyway, we were there and we. Um, we had it all booked and we had this, so we had to get to the island and then we had to go get our um, marriage, license. marriage license. But it was weird. Like the marriage license had to sit for like a day or something before we could officially get married. So we have this joke in our house that neither one of us really know. We always have to pull out our like wedding um, certificate to figure out exactly what day we got married. Because there's two dates. There's, there's two one dates. from the Virgin Islands and then there's one from Fulton County. Yeah, because I think we had to go back or something when we got here. I can't remember. And get something else. Oh, I don't know. I think the guy that did it was Squirrely. He was like a non-denominational preacher and he was the one who, like, you and I were just kept looking at him. Like, where's he going? Because he was like bringing in like the islands and the world and he was like hippie trippy. It was done on the beach. It was a beautiful ceremony. It was just three of us. It was you and I and and and, and the preacher man. Before we went down there, though, I'm in the, the the only slot that was left to get married at the Frenchman's Reef the day that we wanted to do it was eight thirty a.m. Not ideal. Not ideal. But we get dressed and I put my tuxedo on and I go down to the lobby and I'm wearing a tuxedo at eight thirty in the morning and Victor Sansone. Again, who was our, who was our, our boss, our GM and, and and vice president at the time? He and his wife Susan were also traveling with the Car Black crew, and so we were all kind of together. And and Victor comes strolling through the lobby. Well, they were going to St. John. They had chartered a boat to St. John, and he was all in his shorts and like, "Hey, are you going to come with Susan and I?" And you're in a tux, and I'm like in a semi wedding dress. I think he was shocked. I think that he was. Most people were because we didn't let anybody know. We didn't give anybody a heads up. And so 17 years later, here we are. Three kids, five animals. A lot of love. Big hearts. A lot of love for everybody. Yeah. At the house. Selling your home for what it's worth is as simple as Economics 101 supply and demand. Your house is the supply. Potential buyers in the market, your demand. The old way of an agent putting a sign in your yard and putting your listing in the MLS may or may not get your home sold these days, but more oftentimes than not, this can lose you thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars. That's your money. Many times the seller never knows that they could have gotten more for their biggest investment. You want to maximize your profit when selling. Sell your home on your time frame without being pressured. Call my friend Tracy Cousineau and real estate expert advisors get up to 18% more than traditional real estate agents. 
absolutely free valuation of what your home would sell for in today's market, call 855-MY-EXPERT, 855-MY-EXPERT, or go to TracyCousineau.com. That's cousin with an E-A-U, because you know she's going to sell your home, TracyCousineau.com. You know, the other day, like two days ago, I had to go do volunteer at Charlotte's school for this. She has this thing called, um, it's called Challenge Club, and it's kind of like, not like Girl Scouts or whatever, but it's a... um, uh, a, a group of girls who, you know, meet and it's kind of like a small group, but then they also do like great um, volunteer projects out in the community. But anyways, I'm one of the um, parents that helps out. And normally when I have to do this stuff, I am kind of like, Oh no. I mean, I don't mean that, but like not when I get there, but in my mind, I'm kind of like, okay, I've got to take an hour out, you know, from work or whatever to go over here and do this volunteer thing. And I have to tell you this time when I was driving over, I kind of was like sad in a way. Um, because I think I realized that like, you know, she, Charlotte's finishing up eighth grade. So she's our youngest. And anybody who has high schoolers knows really middle schoolers too. You know, you just don't do anything over at the school. They don't need you as much. I mean, they they will say, the school say they can always use people. So, you know, if you want to volunteer in the office or whatever, but it's just not the same. And it kind of like made me sad in a way. Well, and you'll learn if you're a new parent that in elementary school, when you walk into their room, they light up. Yeah. They light up. Middle school, they're um, yeah not Not quite as excited to see you when you come to the school. And then high school, they'll run the other way. Well, I think it's funny. Like one time, won't even acknowledge you. They won't. But like, your friends will be like, "Will, there's, there's your, your mom. dad. Yeah, you know? there's your and, dad. And yeah, hello." Spin around and go the exact opposite way. Somebody told me one time that, like, um, this is so true that carpool in elementary school goes so quick because when your car comes up, they come racing, you know, out of the school, and they're like, <laughs> "Mommy, Daddy," you know, and they jump in the car. Yeah. And then middle school, people are like, "Why does it take so long in middle school?" And it's because you can literally have your car parked in front of your child. And you have to roll down the window and you're like, Olivia, hello, I'm right here. And they look at you like they didn't even hear you. And then finally, like the principal or someone has to go, Olivia, I think that's your car. And then they go in and get in, but it's just not the same. Like, you know, they're so excited. I remember when um, the girls went to Alfred Christian Academy and you would come up that hill, that steep hill. And you were so excited to see them because, you know, you, you've been away from them. And they were so excited to see you and they'd have their little bags and stuff. So, and let me just say this. When I was like, when I had little kids and I would go places and some crotchety old woman would come up like me now and be like, oh, enjoy this time because it goes so fast. I'd be like, lady, you have no idea what I've been dealing with. You know, I've got one who peed through a diaper. I've got one who had a meltdown. I've got, but it is so true. It is so true. And I I say, you know, my thing when I always volunteered, and I volunteered a lot. I really did with the kids. And you did too. Well, but you you juggled it with a full-time job, whether it was at Kix, whether it was at Atlanta Magazine, whether it was with Encore, which is where you are now. Well, and you you did too. always, I had a little, my my schedule was much more flexible. It was a lot easier for me to be involved. Yeah, You know, you were juggling, like most moms are, a full-time job and also trying to be involved and be in the classroom and, and with yeah. the kids and, and part of their, you know, their their school experience. I mean, I think everybody does. I just think, you know, I, I can't stand like mom or dad shaming. You know, everybody does the best they can do. But I always thought like my one piece of advice and someone told this to me and it was so true. It's like 
for a while when they were in elementary school, I did box tops. Do you remember that? I'd have box tops all over the house. But they couldn't really see me doing that. I mean, they saw me doing it. But somebody said to me, the most, if you only have a limited amount of time to give, which a lot of us do, because we do work and we're juggling things, or even if you don't work, you know, and you still are juggling things. But they, someone said to me, be involved in the classroom, you know, where the kids can see you. It's great to be an officer on the PTA or, you know, do any of that. But even like, you know, at Birmingham Falls, they have those great carpool dads. I mean, if you can only give 10 minutes, it's okay. But do it somewhere where they, your kids see you because they have such pride when they see their parents. Like they may say they don't, but they do love it. You know, like when you volunteer. So that was always my thing is I'm going to try to do as much as I can in the classroom with the kids and you get to know their friends and their kids, you know, and it's a good way to do it. So I think it also plays into sports too, extracurricular activities. Uh, We were team parents, team mom and dad last fall for Charlotte's tennis team at Pinecrest Academy. We set the bar high. And I remember the time that Will Volen told you, didn't volunteer you, Donna. There's a difference. Told you, was it, was it baseball? It's basketball. Basketball. At Will at the uh, at the gym, at the Atlanta at the Alpharetta um, Athletic Center, right over wherever it is, right over there. Yeah, he was like in he was probably like in third grade, and I'm you know all the parents. It was the end of the practice, and all the parents were sitting up on the bleachers, and um, the guy the coach was like. Um, you know how they've like sent out the email like five times and everybody's ignored it. And he's like, you <laughs> well, know, they want to yeah, team mom it's dad. like last call, you know, in the bar where they're turning on the lights. And he's like, okay, <laughs> here we go. I really, I really, really, really need a parent to step up to be a team parent. And everybody is like looking at their shoes, yeah. digging around for their keys. And Will, out of nowhere, <laughs> he goes, oh, my stepmom will do it. She loves to volunteer. And I'm like, oh my gosh. But you, you were in. I was like, yeah, great. I'll do it. I'll do it. I do it. And you had that same half smile mm-hmm. while gritting your teeth and talking <laughs> through your teeth. <laughs> I'll do it. I may not do it well, but I'll do it. <laughs> but I will do it. You know why I did it? And and I had no problem doing it because, you know, Will is my stepson. So Will, who is 20 now, hard to believe, came to live with us in first grade. Um, and at the time, I think I was pregnant with Charlotte and we had Olivia but Olivia was in, Olivia was home. She wasn't even in school. We were both working full time. And Will came to live with us um, quickly. Like the transfer of custody was super quick. So at any rate, he came. Well, hang on. Yeah. Well, it was ordered a 24 hour change. From where he was living. To he live had with to us. be in Milton within 24 hours. And I've always had great guilt about that. And I still do. Will needed to come live with us. There's no question. Will's needed stability. He needed safety. He needed a lot of things that he wasn't getting. couldn't be provided otherwise. Right. And because there was a 24-hour transfer, that's the word, 24-hour yeah, transfer. transfer. Will went to school one day in first grade in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Went to school with his friends. And then someone went and checked him out. And drove him to Milton, Georgia. And he never went back to that school. And he never saw those friends again. And he never had an opportunity to tell them goodbye. Because he didn't know what was going on. Yeah, he was very young. And I've always, I, that's always been tough for me. Um, 
Yeah, because we knew it was the right thing, but it didn't mean that it felt right. You know, it was, it was, you know, it had to be done that way, but it was, um, that was definitely a difficult time. We didn't know it was coming either. No. We had 24 hours to prepare. We'd never enrolled anyone in school, you know, and I'll say that, like, again, the, the, the educators, the counselors, um, I'm sure in every city of anyone who's listening, but I mean, for us specifically here at Summit Hill, they were amazing. I mean, they, they literally kind of took our hand and walked us through like, you know, here's what you have to have. Here's what you have to do. And um, I remember it was sometime in mid-October when he came here to live because I rem- there, there are pictures and I still see them every now and then on those photo frames that cycle through. And it's of us at the pumpkin patch at Scottsdale Farms. And it's my mother, Grammy, and it's Olivia and Will and you and I. Yeah. That was probably one of the first weekends. And, the, and Olivia was so excited because before that, she only saw Will every other weekend. At that time, it may have only been once a month. I can't even remember, you know, but she was so excited to like have him living with her. But it was a very trying time, um, you know, because he was so young to try to to get him to understand, you know, everything that was going on. But just like the story about, you know, him volunteering or volunteering me. Yeah, he volunteered me. But, you know, the one thing that people always say, like, how have you guys done step parenting and blended family. And I will say this, we haven't always done it well. You know, we've, we've done the best we can do. Um, I think we've done a great job um, with will not, I mean, you know, as best uh, with that situation, we didn't always do the best job with that side of the family. And it wasn't necessarily, there was a lot of anger. There was, and it wasn't necessarily our fault. It just was kind of how it all came about. But you know, the one thing that I always say is about Will and, and that situation was I never wanted to replace Will's mom. I always want to be very respectful. But I learned the things that the other side wasn't going to be able to do. And so I made sure that I, this is not, this is crazy, but super served that other side. And I'll give you an example. You know, if I told Will, because at the time I had come home because, you know, we had three kids immediately almost overnight. And so I came home from work and I was, you know, staying home and I used to play tennis and I would say to people, I have to leave. I can't play like a late line. You know, they call them lines. And so I couldn't play like a late line because if I told Will that I was going to be number three within reason at carpool, I was there. I never wanted him to walk out of the school and be like, oh, my gosh, wondering where is she? What you know what? And that was the thing. I, I made sure that I showed up, you know, and it was just it was that's a simple, simple act. Um, but like eating lunch with him, you know, um, all of that stuff. And, and, and early on. People assumed because he was so young that sometimes, you yeah, they assumed that I was his mom and I would never correct them. And I know sometimes that's controversial with step parenting. People say, but you're not the mom. I knew I wasn't his mom. But because he was young, I never wanted when people said, you know, like when he joined a team, whatever. Okay, well, mom, you know, this is what we're going to be doing or this, you know, here's the uniforms. I wouldn't say, oh, wait, excuse me. I'm his stepmom. Because I, he knew that, you know, he knew his family structure was different. And I didn't want to point that out. 
I didn't want that to be another thing that he kind of wore around like a badge. Like, well, I live with my dad. That's kind of different. You know, it is. And um, then I have my stepmom. So we always just sort of kind of go with the flow and went with whatever, you know, he was comfortable with. Um, But there were some really challenging years. Um, Again, step parenting is difficult a lot of the times. And if you and your spouse are not on the same page, it is a problem. It can be a problem. You know, we were very, um, you know, we, we were very aware that when he went away and came back, we wanted to ask him, what did you do? How did it go? And, you know, there were times I think people, the other side of the family may have thought, oh, we're asking him those questions to gain information. But it was really just trying to kind of make him realize that part of his life was okay. You know, it was okay to talk about. It was okay to be happy about. It was okay to have fun. But what's crazy, Donna, is that did not happen on the other side. No, it and didn't. You know it didn't. No. And you have to, a lot of times when you're in this situation, you have to be the bigger person. And it sucks sometimes. It really does. Because, you know, when you get divorced, and especially if you've been in a contentious divorce, which we were, it was, it was contentious with the custody and everything. There's a people lot. Have asked, people have asked us before, you know, do y'all have a, a beach house? No, we don't. No. Our beach house is in three banker's boxes in the garage that total probably three quarters of a million dollars in attorney fees through six different trials. Because in the state of Georgia, if you have custody of your child, the other parent can take you back every two years and try to show the court that there has been a change in circumstance. Yeah. And there are 13 different things that can trans uh, that can trigger um, that in, 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 in Georgia. And so every two years, we had to battle up. Yeah, lawyer up. Well, people have said to me, like, you know, when those were going on that weren't aware of how it all worked, they would say, but you're great parents. Why, you know, what, why would he need a change? And what people don't understand is you still have to defend yourself. You know, you still have to go through the whole process, which is also hard on the child because when that's going on, a lot of times the child has to do, you know, counseling the child has to do forensic psychology evaluations we've done it all you know we have been through it all guardian ad litems you know them but you know (laughs) it's we could it's funny how when the guardian ad litem comes to we never did this but i'm sure guardian ad litem see this all the time and you may have done this or your significant other did this when the guardian ad litem came to your home you suddenly have like uh new flowers 316 john 316 you know uh banners in your mm. in your living room and and you know new flowers you know your house yeah. you know well whatever. you're trying to put forth your best but you're cheating best well yeah but those people because that's not who you are and that's not how your home normally looks no but those people have a lot of power in that moment the they, guardian have, lives? Yeah, oh they, my gosh they have they a lot do. of power so you know it's kind of a system um between a, you know, and they do good work. I don't want to, you know, say anything because there are some amazing guardian ad litems. There are, and they look after the child's interests, but it can get expensive and, you know, it's emotional, like just the emotional toll. It takes on the whole family, not just you. No, it does. does. But to get back to Will, the most important thing for him was that he felt like he always not just had a place in our home, but he was our home. You know, he was, 
uh, there was never, you know, I've heard horror stories. I hate to say I've heard a couple of horror stories from people who are friends of mine who were step parents who didn't realize what they were saying. But I'm not buying, you know, my child, my husband, and it was always my husband's child. I'm not buying my husband's child clothes or shoes. That's the job of the ex-parent. And I just. Because they're getting the child support. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we, we paid child. We paid a lot of child support in one period of time. But you know what? It was just Will didn't ask for any of that. And so my whole goal, and I achieved it, and I've always felt good when someone would say, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't know he wasn't, you know, your son. And I'm like, that's okay. You know, don't worry about it. If that's the biggest thing we have to worry about, we're in good shape. And, um, you know, Will and I have always had a really good relationship because I'm not his mom and I'm not his dad, but I was probably, and again, no hit to either one of you guys but when during the trying years and like middle school with school and tutors and you know all this stuff going on you know me and him were in the thick of it we were you know trying to get him on the right path you know for studying and just boy stuff you know keep him focused and everything and he always knew he could talk to me about things that he might not be able to talk to the two of you about he'll still to this day call and text you yeah before i want to hear from him and yep. and you'll tell me something, you know, about Will. And, uh, well, he sent me a text, told me about it. And uh, I love that. Yeah. I love the fact that you two have the relationship that you do and you've always had. In the years that he has been a part of your life and you a part of his, you have never, and I tell people this, and this says so much about you as a bonus mom. You have never said to me, and there have been plenty of opportunities through the years when you could have said this out of frustration, out of a lot of different emotions, but you have never said to me, he's your kid, you take care of it. And I bet that phrase is heard a lot in homes where there are blended families and there's tent parenting and and, and co-parenting, which never goes well in the beginning. Sometimes you're able to figure it out, figure it out. And, And we did. It took yeah, years, years, and there's no roadmap. Every family's different, you know. And again, like I said, I don't want to sit here and say it's all been clowns and rainbows and balloons because it has not been. It it is, it has been a lot of difficulty. But if you just keep the one thing in your mind, and that is, you know, I'm a big believer in the word grace. You know, you have to give yourself grace. You have to give the other parent you're dealing with grace, and you most importantly have to give the child grace because. They didn't ask for the situation. They didn't want to be put in it. And, you know, they're they're doing the best they can do, too. But um, it's uh, it's a long road. And you know what? It Here's the thing. It keeps going. You know, it's kind of like, you know, when you think like we, you know, when you get them to a point, it's still going, even in college and, you know, going forth in life. I want to tell the story quickly about the subpoena. Oh, gosh. Okay. This was in one of the custody trials, and I don't know which one. They're a blur now. But again, as Anna said, we were sued. Sued. So we had to defend ourselves, and that it cost a lot of money. But we got, you know, after so many trials, we knew the drill. We knew what had to be done, discovery, and, and all the steps. Oh, all of that. And we've joked about going on tour. Seriously. And and visiting with other moms and dads or stepmoms and stepdads and their spouses that are going through this just to coach you through it because there's so many things we have learned through the years and so many lawsuits yeah. that um, 
we know how it, you know, what's expected. We know what the judge wants to see. We know that you can't do this. You can't do this. It's not a quick process. In one of the custody trials, we were trying to have a witness served and we needed this witness bad. And this witness, of course, was a hostile witness. They did not want to testify because they knew a lot of stuff that was important to Will's case, not to Donna and I, but to Will's case. So the law is you have 72 hours to serve a subpoena before the actual court date. And the person is under subpoena and they have to show up. If you are inside 72 hours, no go. You just stop trying, whether it's a process server, whether it's the, the sheriff, whether it's a marshal. If you're inside 72 hours, you're done. You can't serve that witness. So we're coming back from Gatlinburg because we'd been up there to visit with Will on the weekend. And the clock was ticking. And this is a Sunday night coming back, I'm sure, because we travel back on Sundays. And the person had to be served on uh, by midnight, by midnight, or we were going to lose them. But we were also spending a lot of money because every time that process server goes out, you get charged, you get dinged, whether they're successful. Or and they not. had tried several times. Yes. And this having this witness served had already was costing us thousands of dollars because they would go to the home, they would go to work. And of course, you know, the employees cover for them or they don't come to the door if they're at home. So I'm looking at Donna as we're traveling back into Atlanta on 985 coming from Gatlinburg. And I said, what are we going to do about blank? Yeah. How are we going to get this person served? At the time we're pulling by a shopping center. Okay. And Donna says to me, pull in quick, pull in. And I said, okay, I'll pull in. What are we doing? There was a, we probably shouldn't say the company. There was a pizza company. There was a pizza delivery company in the shopping center. And Donna had the thought, and this is genius to send them a pizza with the subpoena in the pizza box. Yeah. So we walk in and there's this kid who probably went to Collins Hill high school and was a junior making $6 an hour. And I had a, I had a C note and I slid it on the counter and I said, do you want to make a hundred dollars? He's like, yes, sir. And I said, I need you to throw some raw dough. Yeah. We didn't even cook the pizza. That was the bad part. They didn't get ingredients. I need you to throw some dough in the box to give it some weight and throw this envelope on top. I said, are you 18 years old? Yes. So he was probably a senior or whatever, but the law there is you have to be 18 years old and a citizen of the United States in order to serve subpoenas and anybody can do it. And, and so we asked him those two questions and he's like, yes. So I said, here's the deal. Or actually you took, you took lead and it was, well, we said, you you have to understand we (laughs) had to get, we had to get this witness served. Well, it was also, I will say this, it was before, again, it was kind of before cell phones. Like this might not work now because everybody orders their pizza online and you know what I mean? But back then you called in, you called in to like the pizza place and and, and you went and picked it up or they delivered it. it. And that was the case here. Yeah. So we followed behind him and he, we took him to where the house was and then we went. Well, I said, listen, we're going to go right by the house. It's not, but two miles from here. And when I turn on my left blinker, that means that's the house. And so he followed us into the neighborhood in Swanee. And I turned on my blinker as we passed where this person lived. And he pulls in. And you and I drive my truck down to the cul-de-sac. And we are watching this all come down. And at this point, it's probably 9 o'clock at night. we got to have him served by midnight. This was it. Yeah. This was our last chance. Yeah. And so we can see the kid get out of his truck. And he's walking up to the door with a pizza box with a subpoena in it. And we see him ring the doorbell. And they came. They came to the front door. And you have to say, are you so-and-so? 
and they have to say yes. They have to acknowledge And it. then you say you've been served. Yeah. That's the, the, the language you have to use legally. And so we see them open the pizza box, standing on the front, front porch. porch, and open the envelope. They look puzzled because there's no ingredients on the pizza. There's well, it's no, raw pizza. And, and, and so they open the envelope, which had the subpoena in it. And you just saw this again. We had been after this witness for weeks. We had invested thousands of dollars in process servers and it had not worked. And so it came down to a hundred dollars and a kid who probably got fired. And I've mm. always had a little, you know, cause I know that they called corporate corporate, the company and said, listen, you have no idea. And I bet the kid got fired, but he made a hundred dollars. And, 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 and so they, they were in court, they were in court. You know what? And, and they're, they were hostile witnesses. <laughs> yeah, they were. They were probably more hostile after that. You know what? Like, in remember, bet- remember when we drove by too? It looked like what's the painting with the farmer and he's holding the um, pitchfork, the pitchfork, and his wife's next to him. American Gothic, or is that yeah, it? And, and, and that's what it looked like on the front porch because they're just standing there. And, and in place of the pitchfork is a pizza box, from Papa John's. You know what? In between, okay, in between my job, raising three kids, dealing with five animals, podcasting. And going on tour to speak to people who are potentially getting into a contentious divorce situation, we should be like private investigators. I mean, like we're good. Remember P.I. Peggy? Yeah, we're good. Well, we could, gosh. Let's don't, let's tell, save that one for another day. P.I. Peggy? Yeah. Oh, okay. Let's say P.I. Peggy. Look at the puppies. <laughs> well, the moral to this story was, however you treat your uh, subpoenaed witnesses, be kind to your stepchildren and. And your private investigators. And your private investigators and people you're dealing with. But you have always, uh, Will has never called you his stepmother, but he has always taken possession of you. And I think that it says so much about your relationship. He always says, that's my Donna. Well, now he calls me Donia. But when he was a little kid, yeah. he would say, my Donna. Yeah. My Donna. And he's probably like, my Donna's coming here to, to the principal's office. What have I done? He spent a lot of time there. <laughs> I'll tell you one last Will story and then we'll go on this. But one of our favorite things about Will, he's going to kill us if he listens to this episode. But the funniest thing is when we used to go to teacher, parent teacher conferences, we would sit there and they would be like, Will is so cute. He is so sweet. He is so funny. Pause. But. but. <laughs> and then we knew it was coming. He has a tendency to roam, not he pay attention. Yeah. <laughs> We're like, yeah, that's what makes him special. I had, I, 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 had one of the biggest bonehead moments I've ever had in my life yesterday. Well, I mean, this was just a mess. It was a day when I had planned on getting so much done. And I, I, I mean, I, I had a list of things and I was going to get things done and it was going to make me feel really good. <clears throat> I did, got nothing done. Here's why I made it to my first stop, the dry cleaners. And I left my fob on the counter that but starts my truck. Uh, your key fob. At the dry cleaners. My truck, though, was parked right in front in the front parking spot. So and it the was fob, on. Right. And my truck was on. So the fob read it and just assumed that I had my keys. So I drive from Birmingham Village, where the Publix is, in Milton, to, say, the area of Casa Nuevo over at Francis and McDonald's. Grass, and all that. Grasslands. Grasslands. And I park my truck and I turn it off. And I'm like, oh, no, because it says whatever's not detected. Um, yeah. Your, your key fob basically is not detected. So the truck, my truck would not turn back on. Did you know immediately like yes. what happened? Yes. But it's that panic where you still think there's maybe 
a slight chance that the keys are in the back seat, you know, maybe where I, I took the dry cleaning and put it on my hooks, yeah, you know, in, in my truck. And that wasn't the case. And so I didn't even know the name of the cleaner. So I had to Google dry cleaners, Birmingham village, Milton, Georgia, and it popped something popped up. And I thought, well, this has got to be it. And so I called the lady and I said, Hey, it's William Choate. I was just in there picking up, dropping off. I said, did I leave my keys? And she, she says, yes. yes. So I had to call a lift. I had to order a lift. In the middle of the day, like 1 o'clock in the afternoon. No, it was 11 because I got a notification from Lyft. Okay. All right. South Forsyth County. To find a lift in that area at that time of the day, it's not going to happen. I mean, it took probably 30 minutes for the lift to get there. And so they, the, the driver drove me from Francis Road near South Forsyth back to Birmingham Village to get my keys and then drove me back to Francis Road, McDonald's, Casa Nueva area. I mean, my, and here's the thing. That got my anxiety. It's like the it's like the the current day example of losing your keys. Yeah, and not being able to find it. But it got my anxiety all peaked because I'm in a meeting, and I get a note. Worry ward. I am. Well, so I. You know what? You have misophonia. I don't make fun of you. You can't make fun of the things that I have. But here's the thing: is like I got a notification from Lyft, and it said, um, you know, you just paid out Lyft or whatever because you know our Lyft is on the same account or whatever. And I'm like, who took a Lyft at 11 a.m. And so then I'm calling you. And at that time, you had made it to the gym. And so you didn't have your phone. You won't call me back. I'm texting you. Well, I don't take my, on purpose, I don't take my phone into the gym. But I did, I kind of later, I mean, later you told me to put it together. But I'm like, has he been abducted? Like, what happened? Like, did somebody, like, I thought it was like those white vans that are driving around right now. Like, I'm like, did somebody get him? Did they put him in this lift? Or they, you know, they kidnap him? Like, my mind goes these really crazy places. So then you didn't get back to me. So then the next logical place is, did Olivia take a lift from Cambridge to Zaxby's or something? And she told me last night that you accused her of doing it. It wasn't even a question. No, I didn't accuse her. Olivia told me that you said to her, Olivia, you took a lift. You left campus and took a lift to Zaxby's. No, it didn't quite go that way. Dad, I would have never done that. No, it didn't quite go that way. I texted her and said... That's what she said. Well, I texted her and said, did you take a lift? And she said, no, I don't even have the app, which that was kind of a test too. Like now I know she doesn't have the app. So I got two answers. So then I'm like, this has, this has this man's name all over it. I just don't know what's going on here or what he's doing. Then I thought like... Did you, like, were you out celebrating and maybe, like, you're, you know, it's the middle of the day or something. You have to take a lift. You can't drive your car what on your truck What am I celebrating at, I don't in, know. at 11 a.m.? I don't know. But it was just odd. I mean, it wouldn't have been odd if you'd been out of town. But I literally just saw you, you know, like, if you, of course, if you're out of town, you're doing something. But I mean, or if it was night. But it was, like, 11 a.m. I just saw you an hour ago. I knew you had this, like, the, all, all these things you were going to do. And then you weren't calling me back. So I'm like, he has seriously been abducted. Like, he is in some sort of adult male sting or something. I don't know. Like, Donna, like you know, like. For what? I don't know. Like, maybe they're See, you, taking you people. Need, you need some appeal or something to help you with all this. To, to you, you just really go outside of the lines. I, I mean, I, yeah, you just do. A lot do. of times. Yeah, you do. I do. Don't worry. Don't okay. worry so much. That That's like telling someone just, you know. Sleep, I, I, sleep well tonight. It's just not that easy. I made it to the UPS store. I picked up the dry cleaning. I had to cancel my haircut. And I killed time at the Goodwill on McFarland. I'm just, I was so thankful when like you were alive. <sighs> oh. 
just worry. You know, I worry. But don't, don't let it go. Thanks, hon. Let stuff like that go. What? Yeah. All right. But I felt like such a dork, and it was such a bonehead move that I left my fob on a counter, but my truck was still reading it, and so I took off. And ten miles later, realized when I parked and turned my truck off that it wasn't going to crank back up because I didn't have a spare in the truck and I didn't have my keys. And then to get a lift at eleven thirty in the morning, in South Forsyth County is not easy to do. And you should just feel good that like someone cares about you so much. <clears throat> All right. Yeah. Let's go to Wendy Allen. Wendy's been a friend of ours. She and her husband Marty for a long, long time. Wendy used to sell kicks when you were there back in the heyday. She was a one of the premier kick sales people, just like you were. And Wendy reached out to us after listening to the podcast, and she thought that we were. On speed. Yes. She said, so she sends me a text. She's so funny. She said, are you guys talking on the podcast really fast or is my setting blanked up? And she says, you sound like you're on speed, both of you. And she said, then she like starts sending more texts. Help me. Do you hear me? Help me. So I text her back and I said, you have it on two times. Look at the bottom and bottom, you need, left. bottom left and you need to set it back to one time so if that's happened to you we do talk fast i am like one of the fastest talkers and i know it and i'm trying listen i keep saying this to people you did this for a living for 26 years i'm like i've been thrown into this i'm just doing the best i can do people but you're doing such a great job i know but i'm just saying like people like you more than they like me but i do talk fast so i'm trying to kind of slow it down but um if for some reason we are talking abnormally fast You've set it, so, and you can just accidentally hit it. You may have not meant to, but if it says in the left-hand corner two times, go back to one time. Unless you're just trying to get through us, and you want it to be like hyper fast, and you're like, I just got to get through this, and so I can tell them I downloaded it. What else do we want to tackle here? Um, I want to pull in Hans Appen. Hans Appen is publisher, general manager of the Appen Media Group and Appen Podcast Network, which is where we record in this, their studios. Hans up twice a week hashtag Hans up and turns out that E is not for everybody like on the video games that your kids play right or if you have like rowdy kids I guess they play the mature yeah the M games but I thought when we started this that E meant for everybody turns out E stands for explicit like explicit content and I'm just curious Hans like what are the what are the rules are there rules is this something that you do on your own you decide if the podcast that a particular episode is going to get an e rating for explicit define explicit what can I do to avoid an explicit rating because I know that we got one on episode three and you I talked about your prostate. No, that wasn't it. See, that's it. That wasn't why there was the E. I think it was because I was talking about my cat, Pooter Petfarkin, that moved to Atlanta with me when I was 19 years old to work but at Kicks. Pooter Petfarkin is not a bad word. Then well, why? So prostate's just, not really either. Join us here, Hans, and, and talk about tell like what, what are the rules and, and who governs podcasting and all that stuff that we don't know. So. I govern your podcast, first okay. of all. All right. He's in charge. <laughs> and it's the wild, wild west out there, Caddy. The rules on podcasting uh, are kind of up to Apple. And as I'm sure our listeners and you could guess, Apple's not very uh, upfront about what the rules are. So generally speaking, we abide by the uh, no cussing rules. Oh, wow. And Great. I, don't, I don't know about the prostate thing, but... 
We could probably <laughs> we cross pro- that bridge when we it comes. We should probably abide by a no prostate rule, too. So is it like George Carlin's seven words you never can never say on television? Or is the are these... Who who comes up with a list of cu- what's considered a cuss word? I would say ass on kicks. Okay, now we just got an explicit. Just Which got is explicit. Well, I think we got that within <laughs> probably four minutes of starting. But I um, and and radio Trusted radio is governed by the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, and they didn't give me an explicit. But I would think Hans that it's content. Like if you were going to let your kids listen or whatever, you have to have a heads up that there could be something on there. Or, or maybe not even kids, anyone, that there could be some form of something that might offend someone. So know. the general rule of thumb is you guys can either be a bleep podcast or an explicit podcast. Explain what does that mean? So if you cuss on the show, okay. I can either bleep. I can, <laughs> you're making my editing hard, Caddy. Please stop. <laughs> I can either bleep your cuss words okay. or I can tag it explicit and just leave it as is. It's probably easier just to tag it explicit. It's easier to tag it explicit, and I think it comes across as more natural. Yeah, people don't want to know, because then people are guessing. It's almost worse, because they're guessing what the word was that was bleeped out. Could Does it matter bad. the context in which the cuss word is used? For instance, for example, if I say, look at that ass, versus he's a real ass, is, is there a difference, or are both considered explicit territory? I don't think it matters. All right. Well, I can't promise that every now and I, I can't make a promise that every now and then there's not going to be not and again, not one of the seven from, from George Carlin, but I, I, I cuss a lot. I, 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 in 26 years of radio, I was shocked when I got fired that in that 26 years, I never on the radio said one of the seven words you can never say on television because I, I do cuss quite a bit. I'm not, proud of that but i but am who i am you know that was always the scary thing with radio too is like i i can remember like if i was driving and listening and the mics were hot for whatever reason like the producer forgot to pull the forgot pots to pull down them down the yeah, yeah and pot them down happened a lot and so you would hear like you talking yes. over kind of a song that's scary i would freak Again, out there's a private conversation in the studio and those conversations between while the music's playing or the commercials are playing for could, a morning show could have been anything I mean, fun conversations, but some that would get you jailed. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And you'd text me, be like, um, you're talking on the air yeah. over Dustin Lynch. Yeah, stop talking. Yeah. But it was never a conversation that was horribly bad. You just said it could lead to jail time. Well, I'm saying I never got caught having a conversation with a hot mic that could have led to that. But I'm surprised that I didn't. I think we should just stop here. Right. We've got now everybody. We've got probably 10 watchdogs on us now. I want to thank Dennis Naughton for doing our intro. Who introed the show? Dennis Naughton, who is uh, band director, Flowery Branch High School, Marching Falcons, and been a friend of the family for a long, long time. And Dennis went to high school with you at Campbell. Yes. So Dennis and I grew up in Smyrna, and we both went to Campbell High School. And this is kind of funny. Dennis and I were... Um, I mean, we weren't incredibly close because he was. we did totally different things. But so we weren't super, super close in high school. But we reconnected through Facebook and actually also through his wife, Christy Naughton, who is the band director at Northwestern Middle School. And so she and, and I even met her at Birmingham Falls. Um, she was Will's band director when Will, I think, played the clarinet. OK, story about that. I said to Will one day. 
Will, don't you need more um, reeds for your clarinet? He's like, what's that? <laughs> I'm like, I'm glad we're renting this thing every month. And she also taught Olivia. She taught Olivia um, on the baritone. baritone. Yeah. And she is, um, she's an amazing warrior woman. She is a breast cancer survivor. And um, she loves, and Dennis does too. They love their students. They love music. They pour into these kids. Um, their son, Matthew, plays percussion at um, Milton High School. And Dennis is getting ready to retire from, he's been making this crazy drive from Flowery Branch. That's how much he loves these kids. So from Woodside yeah. to Flowery Branch. Yep. And, um, you know, late night, Friday night games. If you have kids that play football or sports or in the band, you know, they get back to these schools at, you know, 1130 at night. He's been making that drive. He's getting ready to retire. And it's interesting now because now he's like a band parent. You know, instead of being the band director, he's a very proud band parent. And he has just been, him and Christy have been great supporters, um, not only of our children, but of us. And just, um, we just continue to give her like strong, 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 great karma, healing vibes because she's kicking cancer's ass. Oh, now I'm going to get one. Whoa, well, that's odds. appropriate. Did you write that down? But that one kind so of I want a tally. I want a tally. My number is going to be much bigger than Donna's with the cussing. Now, Donna's number... In high school would be much larger. Anyway. So thank you, Dennis. Yeah, he's great. And Christy Nolton for all that you do for the kids and for uh, your friendship. And, and listen, he, he was kind of like, I have, you're seriously, I have to follow Shaq. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like y'all were just talking on the last podcast about not following someone, you know, following in someone's footsteps. And he had, he was like, I cannot believe that I have to follow Shaq, but he did a great job. What's on your mind? Did we trigger something? While listening to this episode of my second active so, we'd like to hear from you. You can text. You can also leave a message on the number I'm going to give you twice. 770-464-6024. You can text it. You can leave a voicemail message. Uh, we get them all, and we appreciate you taking the extra time um, to do that. Angie Duncan from Rockmark, Greg Atkins from Coming, and Joe Lamb from Conyers, all won Kenny Chesney tickets. Congratulations. Yeah. Uh, Florida Georgia Line and Old Dominion, Mercedes-Benz on May 16th. Tickets are on sale, and there are still some available. And you'll reach out to them. Yes, and um, actually already have. So Great. congratulations. Always doing contesting and, and fun things for the family and for you to do on date nights. Follow my Twitter and Instagram account. At ATL Cadillac, at ATL Cadillac on Twitter and uh, the gram. I had to upgrade to a page on Facebook so I could connect with more than 5,000 people. So that's in the works right now. It's going on now. So if you could start to transfer from um, the Cadillac Jack profile page to the Cadillac Jack fan page, do that because that's what we're going to do an awful lot of contesting as well. Uh, Rita Cobb is a big fan of the podcast. She works at State Farm Arena and she reached out to me and said, Hey, we would love for you guys to give away Alan Jackson tickets. Oh, that's awesome. So we're going to start that here in the next uh, the next week or so. Alan Jackson, his 30th year in the business. God, that's one of those shows that you go to and you're like, every song is a hit. And you just keep looking at the people you're with going, oh my gosh, I love this one. I can't believe, you know, he's playing that one. That's going to be a great show. Friday's Valentine's night. Oh. Friday night, February 14th. Date night be great uh, Valentine's Day gift, great Valentine's Day night, and we're getting them early too. Uh, Atlanta at State Farm Arena is the third stop on the tour. 
That's so great. That's always great to get. You don't you don't want to be that first show because it's always going to be a little shaky no matter how much you rehearse. Yeah. Two can also be a little shaky. Three is when you are they're they're They've the hit artists, their stride. And not just the artists, but the production people and the band and the dancers. I don't think Alan Jackson has dancers, but he might. Um not on the stage anyway, Alan. He's a dirty old mule. What? From noon in Georgia. He is not. No, he's not. But, he is a um, family man. By show three, any tour is hidden at that point. So it's going to be a great show. And we got plenty of tickets to give away for that. We do have um, a small ask of you. Three things. If you would kindly hit the subscribe button so you don't miss anything that's coming up on Cadillac Jack, my second act. Yeah, if you're having any trouble downloading or subscribing, reach out to us. We'll. Caddy's been calling people. Pat Millsaps. He, wa- he was on the phone with Pat Millsaps for 20 minutes walking her through how to get this done. And we got it done. Finally got it done. Yeah. Rate and leave five-star reviews for the pod. I gave us a one-star review. Which is just what, I mean, of all people. Yeah. Because what? I didn't know better. I didn't know. Explain what you have to do. So when you rate it, you go all, all the way to the right to the five stars. What people have told me is they started on the left and they were like, I was going to give you That's five stars, so I went one, two, three, three, four, five. But the problem is when you put in one, it takes the one and makes as it your a number. one star. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry about that. I'm the one. I'm the one star. You're the one we've been trying to figure out on on my own podcast. Yes. So go all the way to the right um, and just hit the fifth star, and we're good to go. And show our sponsor some love. Yes, Tracy they make, uh, they make this. Uh, they make this possible and. Uh, Tracy Kusner, real estate expert advisor, has been partners and friends of ours for a long, long time. My apologies to Ben Burnett. We ran out of time. You can check out his podcast, Ben Burnett Show, and we'll try to rebook him soon here on Cadillac Jack, my second act, part of the Appen Podcast Network.